Hello and welcome to the River and Panhandle's weekly podcast. We are so excited that you are tuning in for this week's message. Before we get started, there are a few things that we would love for you to do. Share it, subscribe, and rate the podcast. So the message is about to begin. We hope that you are encouraged and that you always remember, no role is insignificant. Every life matters and go out and make a difference. Church, y'all had Joe Tindall last week, and y'all survived that, and so y'all can survive me for sure. Uh, with that said, I, usually when I come here, I've been here several times uh, while Matt was the pastor, and I would always give you some type of uplifting message. Uh, I think the last time I was here, I gave you a message where I'm screaming at the end, fight for your family, fight for your sons and daughters, fight, fight, fight. You might remember that, maybe not. And so uh, I like those messages. They're like chest bumping messages, like we go out here and we hit chest and go, Yes! Today, I'm not going to give you one of those. Uh, I, I usually like to give those. I mean, it's a, a lot more fun to deliver that message. Uh, but I was, I had a message picked out, and I decided to change one, uh, change message uh, like midweek. Uh, on Thursday, my wife was having surgery on sinuses, and so, I, you know, that's a, a big deal. I'm sitting in the hospital, and I'm listening to some old messages, because that's what I do is kind of go in my old bag and pull out a message when I'm coming over here, because this is like an off week. And so... Uh, I thought of a scripture that might be good just for everybody. And so uh, if you come up to me, say we're sitting at a restaurant somewhere in Amarillo, and you see me go, hey, Matt, I got a question for you. Hey, is there a scripture that you use or give to people more than other scriptures? I would immediately respond and say, yes, there is. There's one scripture that I find myself handing to people to use in ministry or to minister to them in their life more than any other scripture that might shock you what it is. It's 1 Peter chapter 3, especially 1 through 7. And that's where we're going to be today. And so uh, before we get there, I'm going to pray and I'm going to read it. And then we're going to dig in verse by verse, seven verses. And then we will go on with our day. So let's pray and we'll get after it. Father God, we thank you for your love and your grace. And we thank you for the opportunity to come here, maybe a different city, but you're the same God. We love you. We praise your name this morning. Thank you for allowing us to lift our voice and remember how good you are. It's Lord, I ask that you be with us as we navigate your word. May we honor you with what we do and what we say today. We love and praise your name, the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, if you guys want to turn, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to be in the first seven verses. Here I go. It says, wives. In the same way, submit yourself to your own husband so that, <laughs> you're already liking it, aren't you? So that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. 
You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. And husbands, you're not at the hook. It says husbands in verse 7, in the same way, be considerate of, as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. That doesn't sound like a lot of fun now, does it? But we're going to get after it, and I think you'll be blessed by what we'll find. Now, just to give you a little background in history of 1 Peter, I don't know if you've studied it much, but it's really a book about suffering and how to persevere through that and make a difference for the kingdom of God. You know, Peter is writing to uh, people that are believers that have been uh, faced persecution, so they're scattered, they're in, find themselves in places of exile, and because of that, they find themselves married to people many times that don't believe like they do. They find themselves with a boss that maybe doesn't respect them. Maybe even some of them find themselves enslaved. And Peter's trying to encourage them to continue to live a life that reflects who's in them. And one day, if they do that, that maybe just that bad boss, that unbelieving spouse may dance in glory with them. And so we're going to work verse by verse through it. And so let's go. It says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husband. Now, I did a series on this at the church in Amarillo, and so I can't go through all of it right this second, or we're not going to get to eat lunch today. But this is chapter three. There were two chapters before this. It says, in the same way, it's talking about the other examples that, that Peter's been using. And so he gave five examples of uh, situations we might find ourselves in. I'll give them to you real quick. The first example that Peter talked about of a situation that these people, or maybe us, might find ourselves in is a situation where the authority that's over us, we don't agree with. Now, I remember giving this sermon two years ago. It was about the time of the election. I said, hey, if your guy wins or if he doesn't win, guess what we do? We submit to our authorities. That's according to what the scripture tells us to do. The next one example is if you have a, a good master or a bad master, you know what he's talking about? He's talking about slavery. The Bible doesn't condone slavery, but if the reality is that some of these people found themselves in that situation. So if you're in a situation where you have a bad master, what do you do? Or let's just put it for you and me. If we have a good boss or bad boss, we must still honor the Lord the same way where we reflect the one that's in us. The greatest example that he's going to give, though, is, is the one that we always go back to, and that's Christ. Remember Christ, when he was on this earth, he was persecuted, and what did he do? He honored his authorities. He would treat people in such a way. That's the example. That's always the example. And then the last two examples that we have, they're the ones we're going to talk about today. A wife that's dealing with an unbelieving husband and a husband to his wife. What does it look like to live in such a way that you can impact them for Christ? Now, just a couple of things on submitting to uh, your husband. Kind of a weird message. I've never gone into a different church that's not my own and give a message about women submitting to men. That's great, right? And so it's a recipe for never coming back. Um, but let me, let me tell you this. When we talk about a wife submitting to her husband, I want you to know that's not saying that women should submit to every man. That's not what it says. It says a wife to your own husband. The other thing is it's not blind submission. This isn't one of these things like if you're in an abusive relationship, got to stay. It's not blind. 
But in general, a wife should submit to her husband. If you know the scripture, you know that a, a man's supposed to submit to his wife too so that we don't get work out of, uh, been out of shape about it. Uh, a couple of the things I want you to know here is that when you find yourself in a bad situation, well, I'll just, I'll just throw you a little example. It's not necessarily in my notes, but something has come in my head. When I was a kid, I always thought my parents were just going to say no to everything I wanted to do. Like, hey, can I, can I go do this? Probably not. Can I buy this toy? Probably not. And, and maybe they really had a better filter than I knew they did. Uh, I really wanted to, as a parent, to always start with yes and work myself to a no. Does that make sense? Hey, can I have this big old cake? Yes. Oh, it's probably not that good that you throw cake. Right? Work myself to the no. And I say it that way because if you're in a bad situation, it's, you're, we're immediately going to jump in and go, hey, I'm in a bad situation, so I'm just out. Or I'm not going to do what I'm supposed to do. We start with obedience first. And then we work ourselves into a place of like, hey, what do I really need to do? And so make sure your mindset's good about it. Uh, let's keep going. The next part of the verse, it says, I'm just going to read it from the beginning. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that. Now, so that is a transitional portion of Scripture. It's telling us the purpose and the reason that a wife would submit to her husband. And this is what I found out by living life. If you can get behind the why, if you can get behind the purpose if you can see that why you would submit, why you would suffer, why you would give, why you would travel, why you would do something, then you can get past anyhow. We must understand the why we're doing something. My kids, if I want them to do something and they go, well, why? And if they understand the why, maybe they're going to do it, but they're going to do it anyway, right? We need to make sure that we understand the purpose of why we're suffering. And it's just not blindly suffering and no purpose is coming out of him. So that, and here's the purpose, if any of them do not believe the word. Now, is it possible that, uh, that uh, a woman maybe in this church right this moment is married and their husband's not a believer? Of course it is. Of course it is. Now, they've probably found themselves in that situation maybe even more so. As believers, remember, they were scattered and they were amongst people that they didn't know in different cultures and took a lot of spouses that didn't believe the same way. Now, if you were to come over to the Loft Church and you go, hey, Matt, I want you to do my wedding, we're going to ask you a couple of questions. One of the main questions we ask, are both parties involved here believers? Because we don't do weddings that don't represent what God wanted. And God always told us he didn't want us to be unequally yoked in marriage. There's a reason why. But that's, that's a, a big part of, of a, um, a prerequisite to marriage is two believers. But many times people find themselves in a marriage and one of them is not a believer. And so you don't just hop out. You tracking with me? You don't just hop out. You got to do something about it. So how do you respond in such a way that maybe you could win over your spouse? Well, it tells us. It tells us what you can do. Before we get there, I want to talk about men and women just for a second more. I was uh, going through this yesterday, and Bentley, my youngest son, goes, you're going to throw out some stats tomorrow. Yeah, uh, and I am. Did you know that in, the, in a, the United States of America, the church, the local church is made up of about 65% women? I'm not that good at math, but that's 35% male. There's something wrong there. We also know in the local church in America that, that the woman is more likely to tithe, 
to pray, to serve, to let their life reflect Christ, it's more likely the female's going to do that. And it's shameful. While the man is more likely to play video games in his daddy's basement and play golf on Sundays. And you may know that firsthand. Maybe you struggle with it yourself. And it's sickening. The American church is to be said to be an army of women led by a few men. And many times what's happened because of the vacancy that's there, that women are holding on the rope and pulling so hard in places they should never were, never have to be pulling, but places they weren't intended to pull from because nobody else is pulling. And it's sad. Every time I think about this, this text, I always think about in Genesis when God is calling out to Adam and Eve, he goes, where are you, right? Uh, and about the man, where are you at? We just know, this isn't in my notes, but just stuff that I think about when it comes to the absent man. Some of the greatest issues in our own nation have to do with that. Fatherlessness is the number one issue in our country. We know what happens when the, the father leaves his responsibility and bails on it. The same thing in the local church. The same thing. It's happening over and over again. Why is it then that I, I say this is the number one scripture that if you're out and about and you say, Matt, what's the scripture you give to more people than any other one? It's this one right here. Because so many times I have ladies in my church or around me go, Matt, I don't know what to do. I've got a husband that he doesn't believe. What am I supposed to do? I say, First Peter chapter 3. Sometimes I have a husband that says, hey, my wife isn't a believer. What I, I do? And I say, First Peter chapter 3 too. But it is a big issue. And so that's why I wanted to talk about it today and give you a little tool in your tool belt to use sometime. The next part of that verse, it says, if any of them do not believe the word, it says, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Now, notice what it didn't say. It didn't say by nagging. Because that's what we want to do. We want to say, hey, you need to go to church. You need to go to church. You need to read your Bible. You need to uh, conform to this. You need to. Stereotyping women have been known to nag. But I'm just going to tell you I'm a nagger too. When I was on staff at Family Life Church, we were about to head into a capital capital campaign for a new building. And... I watched this video. There was an amazing video about uh, fundraising and the heart for what a capital campaign ought to be. I went to my pastor and I said, hey, pastor, I need you to watch this video. It'll bless you. He goes, okay, I'll watch it. The next day I go into his office. I go, hey, did you watch the video? He goes, no, but I will. The next day I go into his office again. I say, you watch the video? He said, no, but I will. The next day I go into his office. I said, you watch the video? He says, no, but I will. The next day I go into his office. He goes, I ain't watching your video. Because I'm tired of you asking me about it. Sometimes when we just nag and nag and nag and nag, a wall goes up. And people just refuse to do what even they should do. It's kind of the Pharaoh effect. Remember when Pharaoh just kind of get boom, 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 walls up, calloused, hardened over, don't want to hear it anymore. If you've been doing that at home, man, I know you intend well, but stop it. If your husband or your wife is somebody that's a non-believer or or they kind of tinker with it a little bit and you want them to surrender the Lord so bad, you nagging them is not going to do it. The scripture tells us what it's supposed to look like. It says, by the behavior 
of your wife. But think about the behavior of your husband. That means this, that means that you don't nag them, but you actually and genuinely live a life that reflects what you believe. You actually live a, live a life that is led by the Spirit of God in your decision-making, in your prayer time, the way you spend your money, the way you talk to people. You actually walk it out. Did you know um, the Bible tells us how we can make the gospel attractive? And if y'all, if y'all think like this, and I'm not hating on you, I'm just going to tell you, it's kind of one of my pet beeps. I'm not, a, I'm, I'm not really the, the seeker-sensitive movement guy. I'm not. Like walking into church and everybody's hitting around beach volleyballs or whatever, and that's oh, good, and then try to sneak in a little Jesus. I can't stand that, right? I, I can't stand when, when, when that's the, the thought process is, man, we'll just kind of uh, have some fun. And you know what? The Bible doesn't say we do that to make the gospel attractive. You know what it says we do? We live it out. When we live out the gospel, it makes the gospel look good. It looks like it transforms lives. Guess what? Because it does. And if you don't live out the gospel well, guess what happens? People look at you and go, man, I don't want to follow a God that doesn't change lives. And so if you got people around you, and I'll just go and take it further than your spouse, because it really in 1 Peter, this is more than about, that's just one of the examples. If you have a boss that's hard to deal with, you make the gospel attractive by being a follower of Christ every single day at work. If you got an, a coworker that sits in the cubicle next to you and you want to make a difference in life, continue to follow Jesus when you're there. You know what happens is I found this to be the case. When somebody goes through something really hard, they find the closest a person to them, the, the most godly person that they know. That's what they do. You ever been at work and somebody come to you and say, hey, will you pray with me? You know why they do that? You're the most godly person they know. And so in the hardships, they see, they watch, and then they feel comfortable going to you. They're not going to feel comfortable going, going to you if you have a Jesus sticker on the back of your car and you wear the T-shirt, but you're throwing out profanity and gossiping all the time. That's not how this works. Consistency over the course of time, they see Christ in you. And so therefore, during their time of struggle, they go, can we pray? Can you give me advice? Can I ask you questions? That's how this works, because we have made the gospel attractive to the point like they've got something I want. And that's what it's supposed to look like in our homes. Now, another reason why we got to be real about uh, how we can fix our spouse, because we ain't going to fix them, uh, is uh, I'll just tell you a little story. Before I started following Christ, I used to play a lot of golf. Let's just say a lot of golf. And uh, I, I didn't start following Christ until I was 32. I always tell that when I do my testimony message. But I'm, I'm uh, 47 now, so that was 15 years ago. And 15 years ago, on a Sunday, if you're going to find me, you'll probably find me uh, out on the golf course. Well, around that time when I was playing all the time, uh, my wife, she decided she was going to go play with me one time. She doesn't remember the story. She's looking at me like, what are you about to say? Uh, she went to play golf with me one time, and one of our couple friends did too. And because she hadn't played, I don't think they had played very much. And, you know, I'm like a pro. <laughs> and so because they hadn't played very much, we didn't go to the big course. We went to the par three course. And so the goal was to kind of help our wives uh, learn how to hit the ball and play a little bit. And so we're a couple holes into this. I've already lost my mind. In fact, it's taken like 30 minutes a hole, and there's a point where she's swinging, she's missing, and I screamed at her. I go, pick up your ball! You know, are you with me? 
Do you see why this isn't going to go very well? If I'm playing golf with any of you today, I'm never going to yell at you. And I'm going to be patient with you. And if I'm going, hey, y'all need to go play through, whatever, I'll do that. For some reason, the people we're closest to, we have a tendency to lose our mind quicker. Don't we? And so if my wife needs some golf lessons, I'm not the guy. If you need golf lessons, well, come on. Let's do it. Are you with me? We are not going to fix our spouse. It's, it's, it's not likely to happen by us trying to fix them. God does it. And he does it through us being an example of what the gospel looks like. The gospel transforms lives. Look, I, I have this. I, I didn't bring this for show. I didn't know I was going to say anything about it. This is always with me when I'm preaching. Jesus changed my life. Matt didn't change my life. My wife didn't change my life. Jesus changed my life. And so if we want somebody's life to change, we show them Jesus. That's what we do. Y'all still good? All right, let's go to the next verse. All right, it says, uh, when, I'm going to go back to the beginning. It's, we're in this one verse, and we've been going through it for quite a while. You're thinking, we're never getting through this. We will. If any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of the wives. And then it says, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. It's about being an example for that. The next verse is verse 3. It says, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and wearing of gold, jewelry, or fine clothes. Now, just to be real with you, I remember preaching on this, and I thought this was really funny, funny, but y'all might not, is that if I would have stood on that verse my whole life, man, it would save me a fortune, Right? Because I, we have bought so much jewelry and makeup and, and purses and all kinds of stuff, I just should have quoted that one to my wife. But if I did, I would have been wrong. Because it doesn't mean what you think it means. It seems like, man, if you've got, you got makeup on in this place, then you're missing it. Or if you got jewelry on, man, you need to stop it. That's not what he's saying. I'm going to tell you what he's saying. The Greek word here for adornment, for adorn, means ordered universe. It's talking about a priority. And I just put it in my notes real clear, so I'm going to read it to you. Peter's speaking of an order, not of an outward appearance, but an order of an inner person. Don't make clothes, jewelry, or the way you fix your hair, or your high heels and all that stuff, the, the primary center of your universe and the top priority. Peter's saying, if you do, you're missing God's best for you. And so it's not about an, an, an outward thing, it's about an inward thing. And we can see which, uh, what the priority is many times. Now, anytime I think about the outward versus the inward, I always think about uh, in uh, Samuel, whenever David's going to get anointed king, y'all probably know the story. Remember that Samuel shows up and David's uh, brothers are all there and they look like a king and Samuel's like, man, there's a king, there's a king, there's a king, like Oprah handing out cards, but none of them are going to be it. And God says, hey, you're looking on the outside, I look on the inside. If you want to know what the order is to God, it is always a heart thing. Over and over we see it's a heart thing. Let's keep going. Oh, a little note. I put this in here just like yesterday. Is that we don't want to look like church people. But I, I, didn't, I, I didn't stop there. But you know what church people look like? You know what I look all stuffy? We're not supposed to look like church people. We're supposed to be the church. We're supposed to be the church. Let's go back. Okay, verse 4. It says, rather, and this is telling you what to do other than doing that, 
it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn order themselves. Now, I hope this comes out right. I've been uh, dating or married to my wife. We've been together almost 30 years, and we married 25 in December. We were just kids when we started dating. And my wife is absolutely stunning. In my eyes, when I see her, she's absolutely stunning. But here's how this works. That's usually how people are drawn to one another. But many times because of disease, sickness, the fallen world we live in or whatever, outward beauty many times begins to fade. You know what doesn't? The inward beauty that somebody has. Uh, I was just thinking about this. that The other day, I'm, I'm in the hospital with my wife having sinus surgery. If you ever had that, it's kind of a messy deal. Huh? It's their second time to have it. They do all kinds of stuff all up in here. And she's laying there. She has those purple socks on and a hairnet. And in my head, there was a time I go, man, I love that girl. And I'm not talking because she's beautiful, and she is. But I love right here. That outweighs everything. It's too bad that when we pick a spouse, we usually pick them for what they look like on the outside, because one day that'll be gone. Now, just like uh, the other times, Peter keeps going for more examples, and he does right here too. He says, they submitted themselves to their own husbands, talking about the women of old in the Bible, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. Now, we're not saying that she's calling my Lord like a husband, but I remember their time. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Now, here's something that I, I love about what Peter's doing here. In just the overall history of the world, there's two, pe two people groups that have been very powerless that have been uh, suppressed. Those two people groups are mentioned here as examples for us. Slaves and women. Do you know that? Those two people groups have been more suppressed than anybody else in the history of the world. The greatest thing to ever happen to, to women in general is Christianity. Elevated women immediately. But right here, Peter's saying that, look, a slave, a woman, whoever it is, can have the power that will impact the kingdom of God if you'll just live out the gospel. That's powerful, more powerful than anything else. With that said, I'm going to get the music to come up, but I'm not done because we didn't talk about husbands yet. And we can stop, but we better not. <laughs> Got to balance it out a little bit, right? Okay, so yeah, if the music wants to come up, that would be great. Uh, verse 7, verse 7, we're going to break it up a couple of ways. It says, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Now, remember when it says, in the same way, just like it did for the women, we're talking about all of it. In the same way that we, we uh, honor and submit. We, it's talking about how a slave would respond to a bad boss, how you and I would respond to a bad boss, how we would respond to a spouse that doesn't believe. In the same way, be considerate. And so uh, 
When I think about being considerate, what I think about is kind of teamwork. Let me tell you a little story. Elisa and I, we, we, we get up early in the morning. During the school year, especially for her and, and me, it's, it's every day. But uh, she gets up at 4.30. She calls it stupid 30. I don't blame her. And I get up at 5 a.m. She's going to the gym, and I'm going to drink coffee with somebody. Pretty much the same thing, right? And so uh, we do that. And so on Saturdays is the only day we get to sleep in, the only day, sometimes. Well, a while back, and this has been a couple years since I gave this message to our church, it was Saturday, and we are sleeping in, and, and the sun was shining in the window of the morning. It was, I was sleeping later than I normally would sleep. And so I'm there, and I'm laying in bed, and, and maybe, I'm, maybe I'm not like 100% asleep. You know when you're laying in bed like longer than normal, and you just want to keep laying there for longer, and you're like maybe like half asleep, you know what I'm talking about? Like halfway. And so I'm there, and I'm halfway asleep, and I, I feel my wife kind of snuggle up over next to me. And so I'm just, okay, that's fine. Don't wake me up. And so I... Uh, I'm laying there, and she's snuggling up to me, and all of a sudden, she says, hold still. And she goes, Buck. and I go, ah, what are you doing? And she pulled an e- a hair out of my ear. Like, what did you do that for? I was sleeping. And she pulls the cover up over her face a little bit, and she goes, we did it. I said, no, we didn't do it. You just violated me. I was sleeping. That's not what teamwork looks like. That's a partnership. You know what teamwork looks like? It's when your teammate falls down, you reach over a hand and you lift them up. You know what teamwork looks like? It's, it's, it looks like this. is when, Whenever they miss the field goal or miss the winning game shot, you go up to them and say, look, I've seen you do it before. I, I know you can do it. Just be encouraged. You encourage each other. Teamwork looks like this when somebody gets pushed by another team. You step in and you protect them. A good teammate, what they do is they put the team before themselves. When I think about being considerate, that's what it looks like. As a husband, we're supposed to put our spouse before us, before our needs. I'll give you a little example for free because I'm looking at my dad over here and I remember something he did to me one time and I was kind of mad about it. It's in my notes, so here. Uh, when it, me and Elisa first got married, I had a brand new car. I don't even remember, yeah, it was a 1997 Nissan something, but I don't remember what it was. I had a brand new car and Elisa had a real crummy car and it had been wrecked, the air conditioner didn't work and, and the r- windows rolled down that far. I mean, pretty much you're risking life just going anywhere right? You sweat to death. And she's driving around that for like a few weeks or something. And we get married and my dad comes to me and goes, hey, when are you going to give her your car? <laughs> I'm not. And he says, Matt, you're supposed to give your wife the best you have. I'm not saying the best is the best you have. Because you're supposed to put your wife's needs ahead of yours. Give her the keys. That's what it's supposed to look like when you're considerate of your spouse. All right, next part of the verse. It says, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Now, the week I was preaching on this at the loft a couple of years ago, 
uh, we go verse by verse through books in the Bible, and uh, we were at Brahms, and we were waiting for a couple to meet us there to eat some ice cream, and, and uh, she goes, hey, so what do you preach on next week? And I said, First Peter chapter 3, uh, 1 through 7, and I had my, either my Bible or my phone with me, so I opened it up, and while I was waiting, I, I read it to her. And when I get to this part right here where it says, the, uh, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, under her breath, I heard her say something. She said, I'm going to throw a punch you. Like, yes, that little sweet thing over there says she's going to throw punch me. For some reason, we take offense to that. And maybe it's because of how men have abused it. But if it's seen the right way and it's handled the right way, then that's a beautiful thing. And so I'll tell you how we should see the handling of our spouse. Let's say you, know, you come over to my house, which I don't have a house. I'm living with my dad. We sold our house. We've been building the house for like 25 years or something, and it's almost done. And so but if you came to my house and um, maybe we want to talk about First Peter chapter 3 or something, I might even offer you something to drink, maybe offer you some sweet tea or something because we like tea. So I would walk over, and I'm not a very good host anyway, just letting you know, so no expectations. And so I would probably go over, and I'd get like a cup out of our, our, our cupboard, just assuming we'd have a cupboard at our new house, and, and I would open it up, and we have really nice cups. Y'all may have these too. They're, they're full of, of this one kind of cup, and they have a, a brand on them, and if you pull them out, you can read it real good. It says, Buns over Texas. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you got them too, right? You have those in your cupboard. Those are the best cups. I love them. I mean, you can throw those all around. You can drop them. You can kick them. You can do whatever you want. You can like wash them so much that even some of them get starts to wear out. I got some at the house that get, they don't even say buns over Texas anymore. They say huns over Texas, right? I mean, they're wore out. And so if you're at my house and I get you one of those cups, I might even toss it to you. It doesn't really matter. But what it would look like if instead of grab that cup, I grabbed you a crystal glass out of that same cupboard. That's shiny, that's valuable, that's precious, it's fragile. I ain't tossing that thing to you. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take that, I'm going to walk that over to you. And when I hand it to you, I'm going to make sure you got that. Because it matters. And if somebody treats you like that, you don't care that it says that because they're trustworthy of treating you like you're precious and valuable. That's what it's supposed to look like. The end of the verse and the end of where we're going to be today, and I'll tell you one little thing and we'll, we'll close. It says, and as heirs with you, of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So I'm about that women are co-heirs with us, with Christ, right? It's a beautiful thing. And so I, I got two things here, and then I'll tell you one little thing, we'll, we'll, we'll close. If you're a man in this room and you, and you ever see your wife that's not having a submissive spirit to you and you tell them that they are supposed to submit, you're doing this wrong, if you want somebody to submit to you just because of your position, that's called positional leadership. It's the lowest level of leadership possible. It's, it's saying that somebody has to do it because of the position you hold, and that's the only reason why they would. If your spouse is not a submissive spouse, 
You don't say submit to me. Look at your life and begin to honor Jesus more. And you'll see that the more you honor Jesus, the more your wife wants to submit to you. That's the way it works. There's a scripture in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're supposed to do that. But it's not because your spouse is great. It's because he's great. And so we're supposed to reflect that. And when we do, we, we create the best environment for our spouse to walk in that too. And the last thing here is, um, it says it will hinder your prayers. Here's this what I, th- I think and believe. And when we're walking with the Lord, our mind thinks a lot more like Christ. When we're walking with the Lord, we're honoring him and we're seeking him. Our prayers tend to line up with God's desire for our life anyway. But we're walking in sin and against his will. We're praying for stuff that God's not going to come in alignment with. He wants us to honor our spouse. That's what he's wanting to do, wanting us to do. And so I got, a, I got one more little thing for you. If you guys want to go ahead and stand up, and I'll tell you one little story. And then we, um, we got two worship songs, I think, left. And so well, maybe, uh, maybe you come in today and you hear me talking about if you've got a good boss, bad, bad boss, a good spouse, a bad spouse, uh, whatever it is that we're supposed to live a life that reflects what we believe. And by doing that, it impacts the kingdom of God. And maybe one day they'll dance in glory with you and you go, yeah, Matt, but you don't know my boss. Or Matt, you don't know my spouse because they're really bad. It doesn't change it. Many times we just got to get over the fact that we need to be obedient and leave the outcome to God. Let me tell you a little story. A couple of weeks before I gave this message at the loft, uh, I'm up there giving a message and I look over and my family always sits on the left-hand side here from, from where I am every week at the church. And, and I didn't see Zane there. And Zane's my oldest son here. And and so Zane wasn't there. Instead, he was sitting with a, a, a lady friend that was like right over here. It's his girlfriend, which is still his girlfriend. Two years later, it's still his girlfriend, which is great. And so it didn't matter to me, but I, I noticed uh, as I looked over there at him, I was like, hey, wow. And I'm just sitting there preaching, and I, I noticed something wrong. He had on my shirt. <laughs> and maybe that's not a big deal to you. It's a big deal to me because we've had this conversation so many times. Like, he, he wears my shirts and my clothes. I'm like, we buy you clothes and you have stuff. And it's, it's, it's nothing to look at the house and he's just walking through the house. I have my shirt on, my socks on sometimes, and maybe sometimes my underwear. Yes, I said it. <laughs> and so one day I did seem like that. And I was like, man, what are you doing, man? I said, why do you always wear my clothes? And he said, dad, they just end up in my, in my stuff, so I just wear them. I said, what are you going to do one of these days where mom's stuff ends up in your stuff? Man, we got to put on some like pink lit tards and go, hey, look at it. They just showed up. <laughs> at some point, we have to take personal responsibility for what we do. We're not victim of the door. So if you have a bad boss, it's not you're controlling. It's not a loophole not to honor Christ. If you have a spouse that you thought was going to be a really good one and they're not, I'm not, remember, I'm just not saying this is uh, saying you need to stand somebody, with somebody that's beating you. 
But if you have a spouse that didn't walk with the Lord, it's not a loophole for you just going, yeah. No. Opportunity to love the Lord and make a difference in their life. We gotta take personal responsibility for us. Let me pray for us. Well, Father, I thank you for your love and grace. And God, I thank you for 1 Peter chapter 3. It reminds us in the midst of persecution, which happens so often, in the midst of circumstances that we don't want to be in, you show us how to live. We honor you. We seek your face. We don't nag people. We love them well. We show them grace. We show what it looks to fo- like to follow you. And Father, I pray over this church here. I know this church is in a different season. They've, some of their leaders are not here. I know that's hard. Uncertainty comes in in those times. Lord, I, I pray that you, Lord, that you would just send them back to your word. Allow them to rally about, around your word. And in this community, be Christ to somebody. I pray that you send them great leaders and that you bless them and that you encourage them along the way. And while they're doing that, they can be great teammates for one another. They can be considerate, lifting one another up and encourage one another to look to you. Lord, I thank you for the cross, the empty tomb. We love and praise your name, the name of Jesus. And that's this week's message. We hope that you are encouraged and inspired. If you would like to join our online campus and experience the service as it happens live, go follow us on Facebook or YouTube by searching The River in Panhandle, Texas. Have an amazing and blessed week.